0: You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf
1: Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to
0: surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 66 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Tuesday, the 19th of February, 2019. My name is Harry Knight and with me today is Tommy Pottson. Hello, everyone. Derek Diedica. hello. Hello and Marlon Illig. Hello everybody, nice to meet you. Marlon, our newest member of the team. Woohoo! You had a you had a, you had a brief cameo in uh, in the last episode. I did I had a little shear in there I believe where Asher <laughs> was um, on another side of the mic. That was fun. Cool. So yeah, we we actually had a a crossover of of you and Asha. You're your Asha's replacement on the coaching department and on the podcast. It would seem.
2: Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure on that (laughs) side. No pressure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's it's really fun, and I'm I'm very happy to be part of this at this point. And thank you for for that, y'all. At this point, at this <laughs> point. You're, you're, you're putting in that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Uh, we'll, we'll see how, how this rolls through. No, very but good. I, I am very happy to be part of, of the podcast and the new Surf Simply team at the new resort.
0: It's a very, very, very fun experience. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So, so uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. But, you know, that's, uh, who are you? Where do you come from?
2: Well, um, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big question, right? Well, I'm Marlon. As you guys know, I'm 21 years old. I live in Osada, Costa Rica. My origins are from Germany and Costa Rica. So there's a little bit of a mix in there. I started surfing with a program, Surf Simply Does with Kids, which is uh, the kids club, I believe you call it, right? Back in the day, it was Innocent Surf School. How old were you? Uh, I was 12 years old. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. 11,
2: 12 years old, yeah.
1: And that's when you started surfing?
2: That was the first time I touched a surfboard, yeah, indeed. I did stop, though, after a while, because I did the transition between elementary to high school. We don't have middle school here. And I did change places of living. And when I got back into surfing, then I, it, I thought it was really helpful what I learned at the kids' program before.
0: Awesome stuff. And uh, how about you boys? What have you been up to? I don't think I've been
1: on a podcast um, since before we were in Cornwall. So that was quite a while ago. Yeah, That
0: was September. I've had a hiatus. Yeah, um, a Tommy hiatus.
1: <laughs> so since since the uh, the satellite project we, we ran in Cornwall, we've been uh, we've been planning one in Mexico, which we're, yeah. we're pretty excited about. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to a place called
0: Saladita. And that's where you and Asha went last year?
1: Yeah, I went last last May with Asha. Uh, I watched the end of the Mexi Log Fest, which Asha was competing in, and then I, I hung around for a, for a week or so afterwards. Um, and it's an amazing wave. I can't wait to share it with everyone. It's a long, peeling point break, long left-hander.
0: And it's warm water, so Derek won't freeze. I am on
3: board. When people said, <laughs> you want to go back to Peru? I was like, eh. <laughs> Once Tommy said Mexico, I was on board. And for those people going... Well, I should say everybody that I've told where I'm going so far, Saladita. Yeah. Oh, you mean Salulita? No, no, no I don't. No, no, no. I mean Saladita.
0: <laughs> Thanks, though. I, I, you know, let's try. So what's, what, for those listeners that are not so up on Mexico, where, 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 are they close together? Or are they far apart? Are they completely different?
1: They're very different. Um is more of a... I think it's got a bit more of a scene now. There's a bit of a party scene. There's a younger scene. Um, Saladita is a beach with, I don't know, four or five big houses and nothing else. It's kind of like secluded. It's very secluded. It's kind of like when we went to Chicama. Cool. In fact, more so than that, because there was a bit of a town there, wasn't there? What? It, <laughs> that, that's got more than <laughs> salad okay. right. prepare yourself. It's All like right. surfing, sand, warm. tacos. It's warm. Yeah. <laughs> it's <beautiful. laughs> um, so it's in, it's in Guerrero, which is a south, um, a state sorry, in the southwest. It's on the Pacific um, it's got pretty similar weather to here, and the waves are really consistent that time of year. Yeah, so very excited. It's a very longboard-orientated wave. Mm-hmm. It's a long, peeling wave. Um,
0: but quite slow peeling.
1: It's a slow-peeling wave, yeah. Even on the bigger days, you can, you can surf you know, on the shoulder or in, a, in on the beach break, and it's a, it's a great wave for learning, on, especially for, for learning to cross-step and nose-ride.
2: How long would it take you from the closest airport to get to Saladita? Like, what's the, the time... Have in mind there
1: okay so um we're probably gonna leave here by taxi at 11 p.m <laughs> not that i've calculated this already <laughs> staring um, at the spreadsheet as we speak <laughs> i should get it up um so we'll get a taxi up to san jose we're then going to get a flight to mexico city that's around five six hours and then we'll have a little layover and then it's an hour to ixtapa Um, from Mexico City, so that's a little small plane. And then from there, it's an hour and 15 minutes drive to Saladita. It's going to be a great experience. I'm very excited. We might even have Asher around. No, No. No, I don't think so. He's going to be be competing in the Mexilogfest, which is the week before we get there. So he might stick around? Yeah, last year, um, I guess three or four of the guys stuck around. Okay. Um, it was great. I was there for the last couple of days of the, of the contest. It was great to watch everyone surf, but you didn't get many waves. Right. (laughs) Like some of the best (laughs) longboarders in the world. (laughs) Every wave is like, you just kind of want to watch.
3: Well, I hope Ash sticks around. That'd be cool. It would be. Ash, we miss you. He's
1: he's coming back this Saturday. Yeah. No way.
2: I saw that.
3: Yeah.
0: For for Will and Jesse's wedding.
1: Oh, that's right. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about you, Derek? What have you been up to? Well, the first thing that popped in my
3: mind as far as Recent current events was on behalf of Tommy taking the initiative to make arrangements with our local Spanish school, the Spanish Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, Tommy kind of set us up. He asked around, and myself, Ollie, and Teal jumped on board. And Mm -hmm. so we got a, a little class of four each week on Wednesday nights where we're Chipping away at our Spanish skills, which is a never-ending journey, just like learning to surf. You just got to enjoy the process. I would
1: say that me and ollie are chipping away, and Teal and Derek have kind of got like a, an axe out. and I don't know. They're, <laughs>
3: they're, think they're getting through it pretty I'd quick. I put myself on their side of the table. I think Teal's in a, in a class of her own. I think yeah. she's just humouring us, but it is helpful. I feel like learning a new language is very similar to learning to surf. You got to. You're gonna have good days. You're gonna have bad days. You're gonna have moments where you feel like you're really getting it, and then other moments where you're just like, "Oh, why am I even trying this?" Yeah. But chipping away little by little, you know, you learn the language one word at a time. And Marlon over here has been a big help, being you know very fluent in three
1: languages. I love being able to ask him questions <laughs> all the time, so I appreciate you. So you speak. You speak Spanish. You clearly speak English. Very well. <laughs> oh, very and, well. and German, isn't and it? And
2: I speak German. Yes, wow. that that is right. And I got to say about you guys, though, like the questions that you have been hitting me up with, um, they're getting more complex and more complex every yeah. single time that we're talking. Tell Danny that. <laughs> so I think you are making good progress. And the fact that you're thinking about the complexity of a language, mm-hmm. it's a great initiative. Awesome. So Thanks, you're definitely in the right path and like, Keep 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 it rolling. That's the best advice. I can give you. What language do you think in? Ooh, wow! That is a that is a funny one because I dream in German. I think in Spanish, but
3: <laughs> because I live in Osara. Because I live in Osara.
2: <laughs> but the funny thing is that the more time I spend alone without interacting with other people, the more I think in English. Okay. Interesting. It's interesting. It, it, it's all twitched in
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's because of, of how you're consuming media and things like that? Are you watching lots of videos in English or, or... I
2: think that is definitely a strong point of it. Um, You're uh, learning to fly as well. Are you doing that
0: in English or are you doing that in
2: Spanish? I am doing that in Spanish with a book written in English. (laughs) (laughs) As as my classmates have a book in Spanish, I I rather prefer to have it in English. It kind of makes more sense to me, Uh which is funny for me being in school in Costa Rica, going through the whole schooling process. For some reason, I find it easier to learn it in English in regards to aerodynamics and features of the aircraft and just makes a little more sense. <laughs> there we go. Very cool. Yes, it's it's, it's fun to fly, Harry. You, it it you is, yes. I'm, I, I, I am very glad to have another aviation geek that I can <laughs> that uh, is, share
0: YouTube videos with.
2: Oh, that is definitely awesome. Yeah, that, the other day, talking about what we have all been up to, um, yeah, having a little go with that paraglider of yours on the beach, that was yeah. definitely yeah. something that made a whole week <laughs> of excitement over that.
0: Yeah, trying to, trying to convert you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, nope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no well i i yeah i'm very jealous of all of you guys that uh, well jealous and and uh but not quite enough to motivate me into actually <laughs> learning some more spanish <laughs> <laughs> my spanish is terrible um, really... i'm a
3: little bit more on the under the microscope you know danny and i have those conversations sometimes where well
1: Paige teaches spanish yeah that's true yeah
3: but, but that's a bad idea. Learning anything I from very your partner yeah. is like never a good start. I reserve myself two Spanish questions per day
2: to Danny. After I that, re- I can tell that her patients are wearing thin and I'll switch <laughs> over to Marlon
3: or something like
2: that. <laughs> so, so how does it work? Do you speak to her in Spanish and she'll respond in English or do you speak to her in English and she'll respond in Spanish? Like,
3: Well, that's a good question. I feel that, and maybe you, you guys might feel the same way, Tommy and, and Harry, is that when I want to say, have the guts to practice, it's best to practice to me with somebody that doesn't speak a lick of English. And that really helps me, like, you know, having people around me throughout the day that I can chip away at and have quick little conversations with is awesome because it builds up my confidence. But anytime somebody comes around, like maybe you or Gabby or Danny, and it's like, they'll, they'll ask me a question in Spanish. And I love that they ask me that. It's a quick little challenge. But by responding in Spanish, I feel like I'm wasting their time because they speak perfect english and if i understood mm-hmm. the question like like i do with danny she speaks to me a lot in spanish and i'll respond in english and my response is Most of the time, just trying to prove to her that I understood the question, which I don't always, (laughs) but it's like, look, I understood what you asked me. I don't want to waste your time trying to put together this sentence. You know, I'm just feeling like it's going to drag on. And and so let me just, let's, let's get to the point, but it is helpful for my ear to be listening to Spanish all the time. I
1: I think my, my girlfriend's so used to speaking to me in English that Mm -hmm. she even thinks in English when we're, when we're together. Uh And when we're practicing Spanish homework or when I try and speak Spanish to her, she, instantly answers in English without thinking and then she's like oh shit I gave you the answer (laughs) and then Uh, has to do like another one yeah yeah Yeah. it is
3: something that like I've, I've described this before my friends such as you Marlon that can switch well for you it's three but people that can switch back and forth Adri hanging around the resort watching her you know work and get things done to me because I want it so bad I actually look to you guys as if you're like the Avengers, you have special power. You can breathe underwater. <laughs> you can fly like that ability. You're like, what was that X, X-Men? The one that she could change into different people? Into different shapes? Uh, Mystique. Mystique, Mystique. Yeah, In you guys are basically X-Men. like Mystique to me. And that's, <laughs> I'm hoping over the years I can gain this special power if I try hard enough, but it's a long way off, man. There's a, di- there's a huge difference between being able to communicate. You know, when you ask people, hey, how's your Spanish? I get mm-hmm. that question all the time. I feel like there is a, quite a gap between being able to communicate and being fully fluent. It's like surfing. Like, can you surf Derek? Yeah, I could surf pretty well. But if you put me up next to Asher or Slater, it's like, well, they're fluent. You're still chipping away kind of deal, you know? Yeah. So I feel, you know, I have nothing but respect for you guys and admiration. I wish I had uh, chipped away a little bit earlier,
2: taken Spanish class more seriously growing up, perhaps. I think that um, a big part of just as in surfing, when you're learning a language, is like how much you put yourself out there. How yeah. much do you expose yourself? Yeah. And that is um, definitely that's huge, huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the, yeah. That's the bit that I struggle with. My self-confidence has one shot at, at, <laughs> at like, a sentence.
3: <laughs> if it doesn't fly.
0: And if it doesn't fly, yeah, like, yeah. I sort of, it's really hard for me to then, like, right. try to reword it or reshape it right. or, or try to think, like, what, what was it that I missed? Sure, sure. You know? I give
3: Tommy a lot of props for that. Tommy, you seem to... Throw caution to the wind when you're practicing. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Whereas I'm more reserved and I don't want to have that embarrassing more. You're just like, yeah, I'll throw it out there. It it's all time. good. yeah. yeah.
2: And, and that's the thing, right? Like that confidence, if you, if you want to put it in, in a word, um, by you committing mistakes out there, people are going to come up to you and they'll be like, well, actually it's la and not lo because of ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. And the, the only way of you trying to figure out what is happening with your language skill is going to be by putting it out there and then you'll see the little flaws, just like when you go back into the whitewater and you're actually trying to hit that carving turn. and You didn't understand before, why can't I carve to the backhand? Oh, well, yes, I'm not opening my chest. It's little things like that that are going to improve severely your level of skill.
3: Right, I also feel that when I do kinda channel my inner Tommy and do throw it out there. Maybe I've had a few beverages that loosen me up a little bit, but whatever the case, <laughs> if I do go out there and I and I try to say something and I'm not really sure if I say it right, let's say I do get corrected. And you know, you have to admit sometimes it's it's a little embarrassing. You're in public, you're ordering something, you're doing something and you get corrected in that little moment as, as you said, uncertainty. is it's one of those moments where I'm like, ooh, I'm not going to get that one wrong again. So you're absolutely right. When I do put myself out there, even if I get it wrong, if I get corrected, those are one of those corrections that you know I start to sweat a little bit, I get nervous, I'm either <laughs> ordering or I'm at the bank or I'm at the gas station or whatever it is, that moment that I get corrected, I have that, ooh, I'm not going to mess that one up again because I know how that felt and I don't want to do that again.
0: I don't don't up, exactly. <laughs> okay.
3: uh, whatever it is.
1: Harry, I think you're, you're hard on yourself. Um, you, you don't really have time to do Spanish lessons. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You're always I'm busy. I'm going to have to agree with Tommy I, on this one. <laughs> you spread pretty thin. What
0: have you been I'm up at, to lately? Well, actually, the, the last couple of weeks have been really fun because I've been teaching again. Yeah. Which has been awesome. You know, I, for, for listeners that don't know, you know, my, my job is normally a bit more back of house here at the resort. My job title is the coaching director. But, but you know, actually my day to day job role doesn't actually involve that much time teaching students. But with Marlon joining us and with Jordan joining us, I've been well. First of all, you know, was doing a bit of bit of work with them, training them. But but then also I've been just in rotation as one of the coaches to allow them to then shadow uh, some of you guys and, and learn from you guys as well. And uh, yeah, it's been really really good fun. It's ni- it's, it's it's nice to. Get back into it. It's been good having you down on the beach. Well, I'm glad you say that. I, sometimes I feel like uh, oh no, it's a little easy to get out of the swing of things, and then suddenly I realise I'm the guy holding everybody up, and I'm the guy that's forgotten to do something. No. But no, it's it's been really good. I think you need it from time to time. I, yeah, I really good enjoy for you it, to get in yeah. the mix with us. That's no, awesome. It's, it's, it's good fun. Yeah, other than that, I did, I did a, a slightly weird, if anyone has any interest, I'll put a link to the uh, YouTube video, but there's one of the other guys in town here has started doing his own podcast, which actually he's going down the Joe Rogan route of trying to video and audio and all the rest of it together. It's a bit of a beast to uh, edit, but I did a little interview on that about Surf Simply and who we are and what we do and uh, also about my uh, flying and my... Power motoring, which uh, was really good because he sent a couple of guys down to video. Uh, and so I got some really cool drone shots of me flying around. which I'm very. That was a good interview. I enjoyed it. Did you, did, yeah, did you yeah, actually manage to sit? I think, I the think, whole think it's thing, an hour and long. 20. Yeah. It, was, it was a little you, over an hour. You're, I, you're, I you're I a brave man. You're a brave <laughs> man. Well,
3: I was doing other things. You
0: but... don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get enough of me
3: warbling <laughs> on at you on your day-to-day. No, nah, it was great. I learned a bunch about Nasara, about you, and some of the paramotor gliding stuff that I didn't know before. So it was cool.
0: Before we move on, we have, it's not really a little correction, but you know, the last episode we were talking, I can't even remember quite how we got into the subject, but we were talking about uh, right whales in the, uh, in the Arctic. And th- there was the the statement that there's about 100 females of, of breeding age. And and we sort of got onto the conversation of how do they know that there are 100 females of breeding age? And anyway, we got a, a really uh, good email back from Robin Irvine.
1: Ah, uh, Robin. Hello, Robin.
0: There we go. Uh, who was listening and she filled in the answer, which I just think is quite interesting. And so I'm going to I'm going to read her email for you, listeners. So she says, since you all seem to enjoy listener input and random delves into answering curiosity-driven questions, I thought I would give you a short answer. Disclaimer, I'm not a cetacean specialist. Uh, However, population ecology is what I did my PhD in. The general answer is this. There's a long history of mark recapture methods and analytic approaches to figure out how many animals are in a particular population. Mark recapture works just like it sounds you go out and you mark a number of individuals with individually identifiable marks uh, for example like a numbered ear tag on deer then you go back out after some time not too much time because you want them still to be alive and things uh, but you go back out and you you go back out and you you count the animals and you take a note of the ratio of of marked animals and unmarked animals uh, you can then take the ratio of marked and unmarked individuals, and some statistical models to determine an abundance estimate for the population, with confidence intervals around that estimate. You then ideally do it again one gestation cycle later, so that you can see the new young and estimate the annual mortality, uh, both natural and unnatural, uh, if it's a harvested population, uh, or like the right whales, subject to death by entanglement. Uh, right whales are particularly cool because they don't even need to be marked, as they have individually identified callosity. Uh, there's an image for this that, that that's on, but it's if you look at um, a lot of right whales, they have weird white growths on their on their skin around their head, uh, which I always thought were barnacles, but apparently they're not. Um, but in whales, the term callosity refers to the rough calcified skin patches found on the heads of the three species of right whales. Callosities form unique patterns on every single whale. And although the callosities which are overgrown can break away, the patterns do not change over the lifetime. This means that you can find Fred or Rosie uh, and reliably tell time after time that it is Fred or Rosie uh, that you're looking at. If you can individually identify animals, you can therefore determine the ratio of marked to unmarked animals. Uh, you can also take the normal assumption that the sex ratio of males to females is one to one and actually adjust it to be ground truth through time to be more accurate. Right whales aggregate for calving. So over time, they have been able to do a virtually complete census of individuals and therefore iteratively improve the model over time. I thought that was quite cool.
1: Super interesting, it really. Interesting. And
0: listeners, if we're ever nattering on about something and you realise that you know more about it than we do, please do send us emails because we find it fascinating. I'll put the uh, what Robin sent us uh, on the show notes at surfsimply.com dot com forward slash podcast, uh, and in that is a, a photograph of the head of a right whale, so you can see all the all the colossity marks. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite cool. Very cool.
1: It reminds me of um, how we used to identify big cats in, in Kenya when we were going on safari and it would be little things like they have a spot or they have a teardrop like on their face or they have a scar there and you can trace it like a cub and then four years later you can say it's this, it's this
2: cat because of this, this market. Still has a scar or something it's like crazy, that. Yeah. yeah, That's cool. You were tracing wild cats back in Kenya <laughs> as a hobby. How old were you back then, Tommy?
1: Uh, I lived in Kenya till I was 10. Um, my dad used to take me out on safari uh, he had friends who did a BBC program you might know it, called Big Cat Diary. Yeah, yeah, I know that it's one. Pretty popular, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we, we picked that. up a, a couple of things from from that. Very cool. Yeah, it's very it's fun. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. All
0: right, rolling into the news: few little uh, stories that might just uh, might just pep your interest. Um, biggest one for for my mind since the last show is that the WSL has bought the Enland Wave Park in Austin. Um, so that was the the big kind of wave garden project that's been going on. They've had a few problems over the last couple of years, but in general, I mean, my impression was it seemed to be working quite well.
1: Yeah, it's yet another push in the direction of more people surfing wave pools, I feel. And, you know, perhaps us questioning whether surfing will be an ocean sport. Maybe.
0: I don't know. Well, I mean, this isn't a new wave pool. It's just what they're going to do. They're going to rip out all the wave garden technology that's in it and put the Kelly Slater yeah. wave technology oh. in it and turn it into a, a Kelly, because the WSL owns Kelly Slater.
1: Which presumably would make it more
0: more in, in, in the news front? Well, certainly. I think as soon as Kelly's wave, you know, as soon as that video of Kelly's wave came out, it kind of took a lot of the pep out of the step of uh of, of the wave garden projects yeah. in in the us sure. and in in europe didn't it i mean right. th- that wave was clearly so much more of an aspirational wave above and beyond Yeah,
2: definitely yes
0: so the interesting one will be you know the the the, the test tank that the ks wave port company have right now is is really really long and there's only one wave on it at any one time and so, you know, one of the things we found when we went there is that the, the cycle time from one wave to the next and the, the number of people that can surf at any one time is kind of quite limited. But obviously, if they're throwing the technology into the inland pool, well, the pool's shorter, but double width. So, they'll, they'll have two waves every single time, oh, I would wow. assume. And then the wave will be shorter. So, the return time should be shorter as well. So, it'd be, be really interesting to see how, how that, uh, how the wave fits into that pool?
2: Are we still calling it the KS Surf Pool, or are we calling it a WSL Surf Pool? It's like a what's surf the right ranch. name?
0: It's a Surf Ranch. Well, no. So Surf Ranch is the specific location in Lemoore. Uh-huh. Yes. Kelly Slater Wave Pool Company. Is the company that owns the technology, right? And that company is then owned by the WSL. Oh, very cool. Okay. So at this point, they have no facilities that are open to the public. They've only got the Lemoore facility, which is a, you know, it's their test tank basically. And you know, we got very lucky and got to go and check it out.
2: Very cool. Very yeah.
0: Cool. R- right now, uh, th- there is only that. So it will be interesting to see when they do start opening to the public. You know, when they open Enland back up. Is it going to be under a KS Wavepool banner or is it going to be under a WSL banner? Or is it going to be under a a completely separate banner?
1: Did anyone see the... The, the wave pool in China.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw the video. Was that that plunger? Thing? No, no, was no Australia. that's Australia. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a more crazy. interesting one. No, this thing looks like a straight rip-off. It of, looks of like, like... A,
1: a Chinese duplicate of the, <laughs> the wave pool. Very colorful, um, right? Of Kelly's? Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost exactly the same. Wow. But they reckon they made it for $4 million, which is, of, of course, a huge amount of money. But uh, the Kelly Slater one meant to have cost $30 million. Yeah. Wow. So that's...
3: Hey, if it makes the same waves or similar.
1: Well, the, the, the video online, it doesn't look that uh, kind of wave, does it? it. You, get, you get
3: what you pay for.
0: See, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, one of the really important things with the Kelly Slater pool, one of the things I loved when we went there and you go into the offices, is they've got all the schematics, not of the wave pool, but of the bottom contours of the pool yeah. and the, the sort of different generations. Because they drain it, like every six months or so, they drain it, dig up all the concrete and like completely relay it and recontour it to try and make the wave better. Okay. And that's, you know, the technology of the, the, the foil dragging the water through, like obviously they've done some clever stuff there. But actually a huge amount of what they've got there is, is that bathometry data that, that obviously this, this, you know, Chinese wave pool doesn't necessarily have access to.
3: Tommy hit on it. I'm thinking, and I know this discussion's been big, especially since Kelly's Wave Pool got more and more popular, but how is it going to change things? I've had a lot of people ask me since we got a chance to surf Kelly's Pool, you know, what did you think of it? How do you think it'll change things? In the back of my mind, as, as, you know, I was born and raised as a golfer from Florida, so to speak, that... It's uh, It makes me think about a wave pool being like going to the driving range, hitting a bucket of balls, and being able to practice a few things, specific clubs or whatever, just like boards or maneuvers. And then, you know, getting out on the course and playing 18 is like rocking up to a beach somewhere. And, you know, every course is different. Every wave is a little bit different. But yeah. I think controlling more variables for training purposes is kind of where most people are leaning with the benefit of it. And the real question is, is it going to make breaks around the world more crowded or less crowded? Yeah. You know, I'd be anxious to see, you know, what what we see as the next five ten years unfold. If we see less people taking trips out to the coast and more saying, "All right, well, we can just, you know, go hit the pool for a week instead of flying out to wherever for a week, and perhaps the breaks will be less, or it'll stir up a lot of popularity and it'll get people going. Ooh, I can surf the pool now. Let me go try, you know, X Y Z spots."
2: Yeah. Yes, I actually think that's a very interesting way of looking at it because, like. China is already getting into the market of doing wave pools, mm-hmm. right? Like, how mm-hmm. popular will that actually become worldwide? Is it going to be a thing where you can add that to an amusement park? Or is that going to be a thing where it's going to be very exclusive and only for training mm-hmm. purposes?
0: I, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what does it cost per wave? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You true. know, because we're unbelievably lucky. You know, we, we, it costs us, what, you know, a couple of cents in gas to drive to the beach parking's free, we get in the water, so there's the cost of the surfboard divided. It doesn't cost us a lot per surf session. But then that's, you know, when I used to live in the UK and I lived two and a half hour drive from the beach. Okay, so now I've got to look at the gas, I've got to look at the mileage on the car. When I get there, the parking's not free. I've got to eat. So there's a cost. Yeah, that's a good point. And they're building a wave pool right outside the town I live in. So now I've got that. I've got three things I can do. There's an airport. I can get on a plane. I can fly to the south of France. (laughs) I can get in my car. I can drive down to Cornwall. Or I can, I mean, to be honest, I can almost cycle to the one that they're building outside Bristol. But, but like, at worst, get in the car and drive two minutes. Sure. So now that third one, I've got to pay for the waves. So, does the cost of the waves is it is the quality and cost better? Than what I'm going to get jumping on a an easy jet flight down to France or or mm-hmm. driving down to Cornwall. Wave pool's more predictable. Wave pool's more predictable. Very I can get one. up. I can absolutely guarantee that that you know yeah. Wednesday afternoon when I get off work early, I can go and get world class yeah, waves.
2: Guaranteed. I've got to add to that though that if you're practicing on one particular maneuver and you've got let's say a count of ten waves that you're paying for in the next lapse of half a day mm-hmm. or so. when you travel to a different coast you can surf for half a day and probably catch more than 10 waves Mm -hmm. so what
0: if you actually fall or what if you can't complete the maneuver or yeah this is what i mean and so you know let's say the wave is two dollars a wave right done like i'll go in i'll take yeah give me 100 waves Mm -hmm. what if it's a hundred dollars a wave (laughs)
3: <laughs> well like, not, not just so price makes, but other opportunity costs of time and you know there's a lot of people that have plenty of money but no time and they go i don't care how much it is a wave yeah. if i can get away from you know the family for a few hours and get a few waves
0: in and it's close to the house like for you that might be exactly worth their while well and then you extend that out and you say what if it's a world-class wave yeah what if it's a world-class wave because which uh, i believe you know, kelly's is I've been, I've done trips out to Indonesia. You've been to Indonesia, Marlon. Yes. Um, you boys have done a fair bit of traveling around the world to go surfing. You know, mm-hmm. when you start adding up international airfares, yeah. hotels at $100 a night. Like, time off work. Time off work. <laughs> like, just a day. That all starts adding up. And, and if I think about like how many great, the last trip I did to Indonesia, the number of like really, really good waves I got. Like I was probably paying a couple of hundred dollars per wave. Once it's all added up. Once it's all added yeah, up. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, if, if, even if it's a couple of hundred dollars a wave for Kelly Slater's pool, you know, well, you know, maybe it, maybe a day there is <laughs> worth it. <laughs> you could, I, I'd sell the house,
1: <laughs> sell the car, whatever it
3: takes
2: yeah, to don't get, get me back wrong. in there. I,
0: that's... I, I would love
2: to surf that wave. And yes, like that wave pool simply looks.
3: Sick. Another kind of a more humorous factor was I remember back in the day in Florida, people would people that never ever surfed would stop by my desk Monday morning with a cup of coffee and go, "Hey, Derek, did you go surfing over the weekend?" And I'd be like, "Yeah. Did you see any sharks out there?" <laughs> yeah, sometimes, but no, not really. Like that was always a. So I know there's people that want to kind of get into the surfing world, but do have wildlife or hazards or things. Perhaps the pool is a little bit more inviting for them. You know, so that might. Barriers to entry, a little less fear, a little more control. That's a really good point, yeah.
0: Kieran Perot is stepping down as commissioner for the world tour events. Uh, He's going to be replaced by Pat O'Connell. Who's going to have the best time ever? (laughs) I imagine, (laughs) I feel like his early morning uh, reports are going to be pretty fun. Kieran perot has been doing that for about six years, I think. He started when it was still the ASP and he's overseen the change into the WSL. Um, And for those of you guys that don't follow the competition, he's basically the guy that decides whether they're competing each day. Uh, on the World Tour. He's there on the beach. He's talking to the, uh, to the athletes. Um, he's talking to the forecasters. He's talking to the judges. He's talking to the sponsors. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. That's got to be tough. It's such a tough
3: position to be in.
1: Yeah, he gets a hard time, doesn't he? <laughs> on, online, from the surfers themselves, from the surfers' families. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I think I know which one you're
2: talking about.
0: Um, it's one of those tough ones, isn't it? Because if he makes a perfect call... Well, the contest happens. Every now and then someone goes, oh, yeah, good call by the commissioner. Yeah. But most of the time people just go, oh, man, the waves are amazing. And then when he gets it wrong and calls the contest off or calls the contest on and the conditions uh, aren't you know, correct, then... I feel like Jesse has that responsibility on a much smaller scale
3: <laughs> <laughs> week to week around here.
0: Should we go Donnie? Should we go eight? So, yeah, that would be an interesting change to see Pat taking over from that. Um We've also got another bit of buying and selling. Surfer Magazine has uh, been sold. It's, it's actually not. Surfer Magazine hasn't been sold. It's the the parent publishing company, uh, which I think is called 10 Media, has just been bought up by uh, by a much bigger uh, it's, uh, American Media is the, the name of the company that owns a ton of different publishing companies. But the worry is it is also a company that's quite in debt at the moment. And so I think there's some worries that uh, there may be some losses at, within the staff.
3: When it comes to magazines now, is it mostly online versions? Are people still, is that part of something that's, that's, I know, a worry or concern taking
0: on something like that? Well, so print media is definitely on the decline. Although, interestingly, printed book sales are up the last two years, I discovered the other day. Um, so yeah, people are buying. I mean, the only time I ever even think about purchasing a magazine
3: is perhaps in an airport if I have a flight ahead of me and I have nothing to read. I might, nah, even yeah, even then. Not so <laughs> <that's me>. much.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not sure exactly what the circulation of Surf Magazine is, but I'm sure it's you know still there okay. Do you know the really interesting thing though that I realised? You know, every week we have guests come in and quite often they'll have picked up a magazine to read on the plane and they'll, they'll leave it here. And sometimes it's a surf magazine, but sometimes it's the other stuff that they're interested in. Pretty much every other sport, the magazines that, that you buy for that sport, they're full of articles about how to do that sport better. Running, swimming, mountain biking, my paragliding magazines, they're full of articles about... How do you get better or reviews of like proper, honest reviews of the equipment and you open a surf magazine and if there is a review, (laughs) all it is, is they just reprint the manufacturer's like spiel. Like it's not a review. There's just like a freaking paid for advert. And then there's never articles about how to get better. It's just, oh, here's some guys that are quite good at surfing, going surfing.
3: Right. The last time I saw something that is anything in this least bit instructional in a magazine would be like maybe eight to ten photos in a sequence order of how to land a 360 air. Yeah. And you're reading it, watching it going, Phew. yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the help, guy.
0: <laughs> I don't. And yet, you, you know, you look like, listeners, next time you're, you're in a store that has magazines, like, look along the sports section and look at what the cover stories are on all these magazines. How to do this better. How to do that better. And we get none of that. It's really weird. True. Yes. I think you the you've magazines... got to earn your
1: stripes in surfing, haven't you?
0: Yeah, it's such a weird attitude a the weird magazines are just showing
1: cool. us
3: how to be cool <laughs> wear these right. board shorts wear this watch look at how cool <laughs> this guy is that's why we sponsor him.
0: so on that subject someone yeah. left the most recent issue of surfer magazine last week and i stole it away so i could read it before i left it in the office oh, yeah. uh and it's just it's all black and white photos of yeah. people looking cool
3: yeah. <laughs> really good looking people
0: <laughs> um all righty uh Last thing in the news, actually, I think it was last episode or the episode before, um, we were talking about the Surfer Poll Awards and how they seem to be becoming less and less relevant. The people that are getting voted for it seems to be more and more out of cue with, you know, just what we see sitting and, you know, being involved with the media. Uh, you know, no offence meant to her, but Alana Blanchard winning the women's year after year after year. When, right. You know, the, the girls that are winning world titles and are actually changing and influencing the sport nothing um so stab have done their stab lists and that they it wasn't open to the public it was they got about 20 or 30 people within surf media to vote on who they thought were the most important most influential surfers and to me looking through that list feels right yeah like the right people are in that list The the right people are getting voted for and yeah I, i i thought it was really interesting
1: john john florence down at 15
0: yeah but but cause, because he didn't surf he didn't last surf year, him, he was yeah. injured the entire year. Maybe you know? when you put the voting in the hands of
3: industry professionals that know a little bit more and don't just scroll through Instagram and see who looks hot and who they mm-hmm. think is cool for whatever reason, you know, maybe that's why the, the voting went a little bit more honest.
1: Oh, wow. You've got Andy Nieblis up in there as well. Well, 39, but he made the top 40. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting, actually. Shout out to Andy. Yeah, you don't know who he is, um, right? No, I'm not <laughs> even Super clear. interesting. He's like a real edgy longboarder. Cool. Yeah, super random. Cool.
0: But the point is, like, as somebody who's into edgy longboarding, he's someone that you...
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So maybe that's a sign that things are going in the right direction. Like, maybe we're starting to understand a little bit more. Yeah, I think so, possibly. Uh, Stab also put out a uh, their rich list uh, of who they felt was earning the most money over the year, uh, although a lot of that is guesswork. Um, and then the, um, the best-selling surfboards of the year. Um, and anyway, I thought that was a very interesting set of lists, and I hope that Stab continues down that route um, because I think that there is space to fill left over by the surf pole. All right, last thing in the news: we got an email from uh, listener Lee Michaels, who is attempting to organise a charity photo competition, surf photo competition. These put together with the prize money going to help uh, Surf Aid and Waves for Water. It is an invite only, but you can apply for an invite. So he's sort of taking applications now. If, if you're interested in having a go at that, the people that do get picked, be, it'll be 500 uh, people. Uh, so it's quite a big list. But uh, it'll be a $35 entry, and then all the, uh, all the proceeds will go to, uh, like I say, surfade and Waves for Water. Uh, and they've actually got pretty good pretty good first prize. I think it's $10,000 Aussie dollars for the win so if anyone's interested um, I'll put a, a link in our show notes again and you can go and uh, go and apply alright so we've got a little bit of a, uh, a listener question show this week um, we've got a, a, a couple of uh, questions that have come in over the last couple of months and we're going to do our best to, uh, to give you some answers hopefully you other listeners will find them interesting as well as the uh, people that sent them in so I have an email from and I hope that I'm pronouncing your name correctly here but uh, Zuhair Belkora Um, apologies if I got that wrong Um, dyslexia strikes yet again Um, but he wrote to me uh, asking I'm a big fan of the podcast and the technical explanations around volume board shapes etc and I'm looking forward to finally visiting you guys in August so I have a quick question on volume is it possible to have too much volume you explain that good technique, not low volume, is the key to great surfing. Of course, smaller boards means lower swing weight, which means more radical turns and is therefore important for pro-level surfing. However, for an average surfer, would we always be better off picking the higher-volumed version of a board? And if not, why not? Assuming we all work on improving our technique, what are the downsides to picking the big and bigger version of any given board? So... There are a couple of old episodes uh, where I have dived into board design and volume and things like that. So uh, I'll put links in the show notes, but um, just to very, very quickly recap. So the, the volume of the board is, is obviously just a measurement of, of how much space the, the, the surfboard overall takes up. Uh, if it was a cube, it would just be length by width by thickness. Surfboard's not. It's a bit, more, uh, a bit more of a complicated shape, but that's basically what it is. The biggest thing that volume tells us is just how well the board's going to float, it tells us how much the bigger the the bigger the object, the more water it displaces, therefore the more buoyancy force there's going to be so as the boards get bigger and bigger and bigger because the materials basically stay the same and the weight doesn't you know the, the weight changes in proportion, the bigger the board is, the better it floats and that's really all that it tells us unfortunately there's a lot of people think of 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 the volume of the board as as telling a lot more information about it, but realistically, once the board is planing once it's skimming over the surface of the water the actual volume of the board doesn't matter hugely it can matter a little bit where the volume is placed you know if the the rails are a little bit thicker or something like that that can affect the performance but the overall volume of the board doesn't tell us very much about how the board's going to ride what it does tell us is how it's going to paddle the better the board floats the better it paddles But again, it's not the be-all and end-all. You can have a board with loads and loads of volume, and then you can do stuff to it, like give it tons of rocker, for example, that will then slow it down on the paddle. So again, volume is only ever a starting point. Now, the really critical bit here is Zuhair asks about picking bigger versions of any given board, so rather than talking about buying like a long board versus a short board or board X versus board Y, we're actually looking at saying, OK, we're going to take this one model, you know, whatever it is, and are we going to get the six O or the 6.2, the 7.6 or the 7.10? OK, so that's a little bit more specific, um, and we can talk about that in a bit more detail and get into it a little bit. So th- there's a couple of little questions here. So the first thing is, where could the bigger board cause a problem? Okay, what, what is it about the board getting bigger that could create problems? And there's really only two things that the volume and the fact that the, the board just generally is getting bigger that it's going to do. Number one is it's going to weigh a little bit more. That extra mass is going to create more inertia. As you go into a turn, that bigger board's going to be a bit heavier. It's going to be a bit more directional as you go into the turn. However, realistically, even if we look at, you know, longboards, we take a longboard model, longboards carry, you know, a bit more weight than a shortboard. And we looked at a nine o versus a 9.6. We're not looking at a huge increase in weight. Um, you know, I, ha- I haven't gone out and weighed any boards, but I-, I would have thought you'd be talking a couple of hundred grams, you know, to, to go from, to go from a, a nine foot longboard to a, a 9.6 longboard. I'd be amazed if you, you might get to half a kilo. But that would be a really heavily glassed longboard. You know, two really, really heavily glassed longboards. That extra six inches, I would still be quite surprised if it was much as 500 grams. So,
2: like that in regards to longboards, if you take a shortboard that is a six zero and you compare it to a 6.2, would you f- be able to feel the difference in
0: those? So, for us, for any of us sitting in this room, I don't think so. If you were Kelly Slater... Yeah, probably. You know, those guys really can probably feel the differences and and they, you know, those are guys that are trying to extract every last macrometer of, of, of ability out of the board.
2: So would you say that for an average surfer out there, going a little bit over the volume that you're thinking about getting on a surfboard would be a safe investing?
0: So... You bring me to an interesting point. As as I was saying beforehand, what will make a difference is specific things. The board getting wider, the board getting thicker, longer, uh, or flatter. But that's not really, none of those things are really related to the volume. and You're more likely to see those things change if you were to go from model X surfboard to model Y surfboard. One of them might have a wider nose or a flatter rocker. And the board getting wider might make it a little harder to roll rail to rail. The board getting a little thicker. The board getting a little thicker overall uh, can make it a little bit more stable from rail to rail as well. The board getting longer can increase that swing weight and make it a little harder to turn. And the board getting flatter, you know, changing the rocker can make a big difference. So again. Making big changes, you know, going from a mid-length to a long board to a short board, you're really going to feel those differences. You know, the the differences between one board and another can be quite high. But, as you were saying, Marlon, if we're looking, if we've already narrowed it down and we've said, I want that board, whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, a Bing collector, a crypto, a Firewire, whatever board it is that you're looking at, you've narrowed it down, you know what it is that you want. Most of us, we have an idea of, you know, what sort of volume We're looking at, and for listeners that don't, we've we've, there's a a whole uh, piece that we did on volume to weight ratios. We'll put that up on the website as well. But you know, to help narrow down the rough size, now almost certainly there'll be a couple of boards. There'll be one that's a little bit bigger and one that's a little bit smaller. Possibly in the case of a longboard, it might be quite big differences. It might be a, a nine foot to a nine six in the same model. Uh, as the boards get smaller and smaller, generally the differences get smaller and smaller. And you know, if you look at some of the uh, Firewire models, we are just ordering a whole bunch of, of new boards for the resort, and they have every single inch going up in the short boards. We've, we've ordered a bunch of, of the gammas for the resort, and it's you know, 510, 511, 60, 61, 62. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So for me, I know roughly what size I want to ride. And there are three of those gammas that are about the right volume. So what I'm going to suggest is that for most of us, for most normal human beings, you're always going to be better off with that bigger board. It's kind of that cost-benefit analysis, you know, that the benefit of the board being a bit bigger and paddling a little better and having a little bit more planing surface outweighs that Probably very, very marginal increase in manoeuvrability and ability to to roll rail to rail. You know, for for almost any of us, that that little change isn't going to be particularly noticeable. But going too small, the, the loss of the wave count and the potential for the board to bog down through turns, that we will notice. I know. Would you guys agree with that?
3: Yeah, I've definitely found that before, like it's call myself pre-surf simply, before I gained all this knowledge through you, Harry, I, uh, I was the guy that in choosing a shortboard, I used to think, let me go as small as I can where I can yeah. still catch waves. What's the
0: smallest I can get I away can with? Go, yeah.
3: And based on what I've learned through working here and talking to people and researching a little bit, I've now found myself in the opposite position of what's the biggest I can go that I can still duck dive. When I first moved to Nosara, I was on a, I was on a five eight, five eight maybe twenty six liters. Mm-hmm. Learned a little bit more, and that turned into a five ten, twenty nine liters. Now with this firewire order, I've put in for a six zero gamma, and I'm going why why not go as big as I possibly can, but you know still duck diveable. I'll I'll turtle roll it. I don't care if it means getting me through my turns without bogging a rail. That little bit of extra volume, that little bit of extra paddle speed, I have found little by little that it's just like. Why why was I beating my head against the wall trying to go shorter when I wasn't really benefiting at all? So as you said, Harry, dropping, yes, there is, you know, a scenario where we, you know, where we could lose, but by going a little bit bigger, you know, you're gaining, but not necessarily
2: losing, so... On that subject of duck diving, the biggest board that you can. What's the biggest board you can duck
0: dive on, Tommy? Tommy, 9'6"? <laughs> six,
2: I think.
1: <laughs> my, wow. nine, six, my pick. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Tommy, Tommy. For it. listeners that don't know, his uh, <laughs> his party trick is that he can duck dive pretty much any board that you throw at him. His
1: party trick. I like that. <laughs> that
0: is very very cool, Tommy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but no, as, as a, just a final expo- as a final example, listeners, if you uh, if you go to the Surf Simply Instagram feed and you have a little look, there is a, a picture of our head coach Jessie, the occasional lady. She was teaching the other week, and her normal board is a, about a five ten and about twenty seven twenty eight liters. And as it happens, she was she was sort of caddying for the, the the guest that she was helping teach, so she was out on a six six forty five liter firewire dominator and uh yeah just go and have a look at that picture and she's doing a full vertical snap uh it's beautiful turn technically fantastic so that really leads to the next question is is when should you think about moving into that more performance design when when is you know the 6.2 gonna hold you back compared to the six O? When is getting the 7.10 going to hold you back compared to the 7.6? And there is a point for that. And it's the point at which you really have got the mechanics nailed. You've, you've had a little look at the video of yourself. The weight distribution is perfect. You're, you're moving your body really, really nicely. And you're going for the maneuvers that you want to go for. And the size and shape of the surfboard is the biggest thing that's holding you back. And in our head, it always feels like, oh, it's the board. <laughs> oh, if I just brought the other board. Oh, if I'd put my other fins in, I'd have made that maneuver. <laughs> the reality is that's not the case. That's not the case for most of us.
1: I would I would agree with you, but I'd say that it's not that you've got the technique nailed. You've You've got the technique to a level that you're happy with or that is within your grasp and it's now the board that's stopping you getting better for example talking about the nine foot long board yeah taylor jensen can do a massive snap but that doesn't mean that i'm going to be able to do that on that board i'll need a much smaller board to get anywhere close to 12 o'clock like that right and my technique's not exactly perfect well no my (laughs) technique's nothing like perfect but i'm going to use a smaller board to get towards that
0: yeah i mean that that's true you know the smaller board does turn better the downside is it's also easier to cheat on and it's easier to get away with bad technique and if you're working on technique you're going to make mistakes and if you're going to make mistakes you want a board that's going to let you get away with mistakes and not dump you in the water and so having you know your surfing being where it's at if you go out on your smallest and most high performance board and you go for maneuvers they're make or break you know you you get it or you end up in the water whereas possibly on on you know more of a mid-length board you can go for that maneuver and okay the roundhouse cutback didn't quite work but actually you were able to recover it you were able to ride out of it you're able to carry on on that wave and go for something else yeah and in both occasions your technique is hopefully improving it's just that you've got two attempts on the mid-length board and only one attempt on the smaller board so i
1: guess it's a, it's a very fine tuning of, of making sure you're having fun with what you're doing. Are you solely working on technique or are you solely working on, you know, looking cool with that one turn and, and finding the middle?
3: I think one of the hardest things to see out in the water, and especially you see this a lot in Florida, people in, you know, need a waist high mush all on shortboards, and they will catch a wave and they'll exert so much energy pumping, 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 pumping for that one last little hit at the end. And it's just like, you look at, it's like, why are you trying to fit a square peg in a round hole? It's like, I've described this before in classes with, with guests, how I like to look at the ocean as a as a project that you're fixing something and your board bodega is your tool set. And you look at the ocean to decide what type of tool you need for that specific condition. And I think that's one of the smartest ways to approach it. The best way we can kind of just get that mindset into the into the brains of our guests to think about how You know, when people say, I want to ride a shortboard, that's fine and dandy. As long as the conditions and your level, you know, agree
0: with that, then go for it. Otherwise, you're just kind of banging your head against the wall. Okay. So to summarize all of that, I'd say that, yes, it definitely is possible to have too much surfboard uh, for some maneuvers and some things that we're trying to do. But volume isn't necessarily the best way to measure Uh, the problem at that point. Um, Volume gives a really good feel for the overall buoyancy of the board and therefore how well it will paddle. But once the board's up and riding, the volume doesn't tell us the whole picture and and some big boards will actually be more manoeuvrable than some smaller boards, depending on the the design details. There are some very high performance manoeuvres that will be harder to perform on some boards, but we're going to need to look at, at, at rockers, at volume distribution, bottom contours, rail profiles, everything like that, in order to think about that. So if we're just looking at, at you know two different boards of the same design, you know, the 60 the gamma versus the 62 gamma in my opinion, unless you're a sponsorship level pro with impeccable timing and technique, you'll almost always be better with that bigger board.
1: Okay, so we've had a question in from Brandon Lane, and um, Brandon Lane is asking, very politely actually. I'm going to read it as he wrote it. Um, I have a few questions for you if you have the time. I'm looking to get into the twin fin scene. I'm a level three point five guy living on Maui. I'm five nine and a ridiculously light one hundred and thirty five pounds, which I believe I don't really know pounds, but that is light. That's like Six- weight, right? sixty kilos. Yeah, super light. My go-to is a 5.4, and it's a, it's a crypto, And he runs the Futures T1 sides with a super tiny TMF2 nubby. That's one of the little nub fins that I've never really understood. They, they kind of help, right?
0: Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. When you, know, when you switch over – I'm completely interrupting Brandon's question here – but when you switch over to twin fins, uh, if you've never ridden one before, the loss of that control in the back – is is kind of weird and it takes a bit of getting used to and just putting a little like nub fin in the back or or you know if you look at the um if you look at the Mark Richards set it's got it still looks like a normal fin but it's just really little <laughs> uh in the back and it just gives that that bit of control as you as you go into a turn if you're not used to using the rail of the board you're used to pushing off that back fin and suddenly that back fin isn't there It just gives you a little bit of... It's like having traction control on a sports car. Yeah. If you're you're a purist, you turn traction (laughs) control off. But if it's your first time in a Ferrari, you keep that traction control right where it is.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking at it from a point of view as an analogy. Would you say that that little nubby fin is a training wheel for a bicycle once you're transitioning to riding two wheels?
0: Yeah, probably similar. It's a similar thing.
1: So sorry, um, Brandon, back to your questions. Um, Number one. You're asking, should I go with a DHD Mini Twin, and you've put the size as 5-3, and it's at 26 litres, or a Machado Gofish, uh, which is at 5-1 or at 5-3, and the literage is 25 or 27, and you put as my first real twin. Right, I'm going to answer question one before we dive into two and three. Um, I've actually owned both those boards now. Um,
0: a technical expert in the subject.
1: I wouldn't say a technical expert, Tommy <laughs> Twinfin. <laughs> but I have, um, I have owned both of those boards. Um, I started with the, with the Machado Gofish. It was my first ever two-finned board. Um, and I found that it, was, it caught waves really easily, which was great. Um, I found that it was very fast, but when I tried to turn the first couple of surfs I had on it, I didn't really need to turn. I just needed to go fast and I loved it. So I actually sold my shortboard at the time.
0: (laughs) Um, He's all in.
1: I was like, yep, this is it. This is my board. And, and it got to a, a high a high tide day where i needed to do cutbacks and we just happened to be filming uh, and i realized i couldn't turn the thing <laughs> at all no matter what i tried you know the first couple of times i completely slid the tail out then i tried to like n- what they call nurse a turn and i realized that i wasn't turning actually at all. i was just going off the shoulder um so th- that was my experience with with the go fish
0: and for just for for listeners, we'll we'll put some photos of both these boards in the show notes. But for those of you, because I know a lot of you listen when you're driving your car to work, to, so just so you know what we're talking about, the the go fish is is much more of like a traditional fish outline. I mean, quite straight rails and very deep uh, swallow tail. And then the the other board he mentions, the mini twin, is is a bit more of a hybrid between that and a short board, isn't it? It's a more pulled in in the nose, more pulled in in the tail. Uh, sort of a sort of a board
1: yeah um so so what I found with the gofish was that it was really frustrating for me to to learn how to turn it um, but part of part of the reason I first got a fish was was to try and help my surfing look better, and uh, help me surf rail to rail is that the term <laughs> <laughs> rail to rail to rail, much smoother, um, so what I found with the gofish was that I had to not only move my feet my my feet back and forwards, but also side to side, which is something that I'd never even considered surfing. Um, I've, I've since then, you know, looked at my longboarding and realized I'd do it without thinking, but, um, I now consciously think about moving my foot from rail to rail as I go through turns on the gofish Um, so, in doing one of those turns, um, <laughs> I actually blew the fin out, <laughs> which, uh, which prompted me to, to buy, um, buy the Mini Twin while I, while I was getting the Go Fish repaired, And as Harry said, the Mini Twin has a much more pulled in tail, a much narrower tail. And what I found with it was that it was a lot more forgiving. Uh, with the floor many floors in my surfing (laughs) Um, but I had a a lot more fun on it right so I I could do cut cutbacks much easier and I could surf it um, a lot easier so um, that's what I would say initially about those two boards Um, um, so in your question you you kind of say you want to get onto the twin fin scene I guess both of these would be considered twin fins would you consider both fish
0: I think probably not I mean I think a, a fish really specifically refers to that Steve Liss outline that that straighter rail that deep swallow in the back. I mean, weirdly, even that that go fish board is almost like a transition because it was meant to be a you know a traditional outline that would actually surf a little bit more short board, you would actually go vertical Uh, and and turn a little tighter. Okay, um, personally, I would suggest that the DHD board you know, it's much more like a Mark Richards twin fit.
1: It is. I would say it's much more like a shortboard than a, than a traditional killfish. And it's a lot more forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm currently having a lot more fun on on the Mini Twin. Um, y- your second question, you're, you're wondering about the volume versus the thickness as you're very light footed and you're front footed and way next to nothing. Should you be looking for lower volume or should you concentrate more on the thickness to improve surfing or sorry, to improve performance? Um, well, we're presuming that you're using the Surf Simply le- uh, level scale and you've put yourself down as a level
0: 3.5. So, level 3.5, working on kind of more horizontal surfing. You know, we, we can, we're surfing down the line nicely. We're starting to pump and generate our own speed. We're thinking about performing uh, cutbacks, you know, cutbacks back to the white water, bouncing off the white water, re entries off breaking sections. But more kind of horizontal cutbacks and more horizontal reentries, rather than big vertical uh, maneuvers.
1: Yeah, and um, and the board, well, the board that you're already surfing on is twenty six liters, which to me is um, a very low literage. Um, um, so I guess if you're using our level scale, I would recommend the one with more volume. Actually, the surf simply recommendation for someone sixty kilograms. At level three point five would be thirty to thirty eight liters. So have that in mind. But that you know we're presuming you're using our scale there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would say just to, to to you know get into that that volume versus thickness. Um, you know, in in terms of surfing the board, it, it's it's not even the thickness overall as much as it's the rail thickness, which again you're not really going to be able to get a feel for um, by just the numbers on on the website. As the, rail, as the rails get thicker and thicker, you have more and more buoyancy distributed out onto the rails of the board, which can make it harder to roll the board from one rail to the other. It can make it harder to set the rail uh, going down the line. But equally, so would increasing the width of the board can, can have a very similar effect. Um, so actually just lowering the volume doesn't necessarily make any difference if, if the rail thickness is being retained. You know, very often, uh, maybe not so much with these two boards, but with a lot of fish, uh, you know, actually they're very, very wide boards. They're very thick in the rail. And, uh, and so even getting smaller and smaller and dropping the volume down and down and down, actually it's not going to make the board any easier to turn what I would say, Brandon, is if you're self-identifying that you're light-footed and front-footed, um, I would suggest that you uh, start getting better at bringing your weight onto your back foot. I think it's it's a, an old adage within surfing, this idea of front-footed surfers and back-footed surfers. And actually, if you look at, at the best surfers, they're using their front foot and their back foot very, very evenly. And I, I would say there's nobody that you would see in magazines or, or, or on the world tour or anything like that, that, that is a front-footed or a back-footed surfer. They're, they're really using both feet and, and using their hips to move their weight between the two. So if, if you already know that there's, there's that, that maybe weakness in your surfing, I would really focus in on, on that and trying to improve that.
1: Would a fish be a sensible board to help with that?
0: Wide-tailed boards have the benefit that they require more back foot pressure you know i'm sure you found that particularly with the go fish yeah if you try to surf that off your front foot you're going nowhere um that thing is not going to (laughs) turn well i'm
1: going somewhere i'm going to
0: my house well yeah okay you're you're shooting off down the line and, and over the shoulder of the wave i mean i actually found the same thing with the with my evo my Tomo Evo a few years ago. So a board that really required me to sit a little bit more weight onto my back foot through the turns, which uh, similar to Brandon, I can't claim the same 135 pounds, but um, (laughs) I do have a tendency to put a bit too much weight through my front foot, particularly through my bottom turns and riding the Evo wouldn't let me get away with that. I had to sit that weight back. Otherwise it would just project off down the line. Um, So certainly, you know, riding something like a go fish can, can help with that. The problem is with the twin fins and no and stabilizing fin in the middle, it, it is possible to end up slipping and sliding all over the place with too much pressure on the back foot, which can then discourage you from putting pressure on your back foot. Um, and so if that's kind of the aim of the game. Having having that third fin in the back is, is kind of useful.
1: Yeah, I think I think surfing both of those boards has helped me just a little bit more conscious of where weight is going and trying to balance everything out a lot a lot more evenly
3: twin fin fish mid-length longboard shortboard i feel like what's i've seen benefit a lot of our guests is if you have the opportunity whether it's by beg borrow steal try to give yourself a few sessions on all different types of boards and then you'll always be able to say you know even if you can't pinpoint why you might go for some reason that board seemed to turn better or this board seemed better down the line and then you can then research and maybe ask around as to why after the fact but if you have the opportunity to try a few different styles i know that it's helped me a lot kind of decide what i like and what works for me again even if you're not sure why sometimes it could just be a placebo effect but um i think that would be best case scenario if you can try a fish even if you don't like the look of it just to hop on one for a few waves even i think is beneficial for us
1: yeah um so question number three i always ride boards around 26 liters and there aren't very many used boards that i find under that amount so i'm always scared to drop 700 on something in the 24 liter range and end up hating it would i even be noticing a two liter drop if i'm only a level 3.5 and we already sort of answered this yeah one. we, we, we kind of went question. through this and i think if you're choosing between a 5.1 and a 5.3 unless you're boosting massive aerials i would go with the bigger board
0: yeah. Whatever. Kind of kind of what we were talking about before. Yeah. Foam is your, your friend. friend. <laughs> Say it with <laughs> us. Foam <laughs> is your friend. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, obviously, you know, that does depend on your surfing level. Um so I guess, you know, my advice for you would kind of question what you want out of this surfing experience, what you want from this board. Um, you know, if it's to look cool as you're walking down the beach well the mini twin is comes in nice nice colors it looks beautiful um if you want a board that's going to force you to have pretty good technique i would, I would try using the Gofish. um i would
0: also add that i think you know given that you're already riding the hipto crypto and you're already running that with twin fins in it i would suggest that the uh that mini twin may not feel a whole lot different when you get on it there's there's a lot of similarities it's it's the the rocker lines the the volume distribution things like that you know the one's got a a sort of more pintail the other's got a bit of a swallow tail. but i think you'll find there's a lot of similarities whereas the the go fish is a very noticeably different board
1: yeah i would agree with that um and then the, the last thing that I'd maybe leave you thinking of is I took my, my GoFish to go and get repaired uh, to, to a guy in town called Rob, who fixes some of our boards here. And he had three other fishes in his, in his garage, all for repair, all with blown out fins. <laughs> and he kind of talked me through how the GoFish in particular had this real uh, pinched in and thin tail, and it had this huge fin, and there was like you know millimeters of gap between the fin box and and the rail um so i would I would almost recommend that you look at the mini twin two if you were going towards the gofish because that one has um carbon fiber wrapped uh, fin boxes at, around the rail, and that will just give you a little bit more support around the fins
0: or even if you've got the option, see if you can get a, a board with glass in fins yeah, which are even more secure. It is one of the one of the known i mean certainly with the old f c s one system. I mean, running twin fins on those you used to blow them all the time because there was so much power being produced by the fin going through those two tiny little plugs going into the board. Right. And yeah. obviously, you know, the the futures and the FCS two are better because there's a lot more contact with the board. But um, yeah, it's still, there's a. Lot, it, it, it's amazing how much power goes through goes through a set of fins like that.
1: Um, so I hope we've we've helped you answer those questions. I hope we're not too late. Um, or if we are too late hopefully we've you know given you some things to think about as you're surfing your new board um so thanks brandon our
3: next email comes in from channing johnson shout out to channing thanks for the question brother this one i jumped on because i thought it was pretty funny um it's something that you know if you've been surfing just for a little while i'm sure at one point or another you've been in a car on a highway or on your way to the surf spot and you've seen somebody going down the highway next to you with boards strapped to the roof and they're about two feet off of the roof and the straps are stretching and the people in the car have no idea. But just above them, there's a hazard that could now cause a huge accident on the highway. So his question was, what is the most aerodynamic way to put a surfboard on top of your car? Fin to the front of the car or the back of the car? Is it better to have a rack flush against the top of the car? Want to make sure I'm as fuel efficient as possible. Oh,
2: here we go. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> Let this the is, games um, begin. This is one of the longest going debates between <laughs> surfers, I think, ever. Yes, <laughs> I think that's
3: safe to say. I want to start off with a few obvious points. First, if you can fit your board inside your car, I think for as much as we love our boards, they deserve the AC and the smooth ride wherever we're heading. So if you can fit the board in the car, obviously that's best case scenario. I think next best is if you have a truck. Um, those boards going in the bed a little bit more comfy in the cab. However, boards being outside in the bed could still, even if you have them in a day bag, let's say you go out for a little breakfast after the surf, they can be you know wax melting and not really good for the boards back there either. So if we are in the scenario where we're strapping boards to the roof, first and foremost, and I learned this from a man, Harry, over here, you might not think about it, but strapping boards down with your typical kind of vinyl straps one thing you might not think about is putting a few twists in that. Um, if you leave your straps nice and flat, which, you know, kind of my neat freak mind loves to see everything <laughs> just tidy.
1: They go, oh, they, they start to
3: buzz as, as Tommy's doing right now. So, yeah, learn that trick, which is pretty cool if you're driving along the highway and you, you hear that vibration. Maybe perhaps next time just put a few twists in that strap. That way uh, the, the wind won't grab it as, as, as well. Um. So in doing some research on this one, it seems, as Tommy said, like the jury's still out on it. Um, there was a Lincoln Surfline that somebody sent in this question, and, and their response was, the fin going to the back of the car, yes, it might be a little bit more aerodynamic, but having your fins forward, so they say, will not affect your gas mileage too much. Not enough that it should matter. Also, we want to think about the type of board we're putting on the roof. What I found as I researched this a little bit was that a majority of people prefer the board to have, uh, of course, waxed down and the fins forward to the front of the car in front of your windshield. Reason being is that you can never be 150% sure on those straps. And if for some reason along the ride, whether it be from bumps or you know different types of winds, what I read the most was if that board does start to come loose from those straps and starts to slide backwards it could be your fins are the only thing left to kind of grab that strap and prevent the boards from flying all the way um, into the car behind you. Marlon brought (laughs) up a really good point to me before the podcast, and that is, what if you jammed on your brakes really hard? Could that send the board flying forward to the car in front of you? Lethal Weapon 2-star. That's what I'm talking about. So a Mythbusters episode pulled this up (laughs) and said that moving at 40 miles per hour bounced off the windshield and only pierced the windshield partially and that was at 85 miles per hour
2: may i ask you something and sure what happened to the surfboard though if it bounces off the windshield of a car i don't know <laughs> that's my a surfboard.
3: whole story <laughs> that's a tragic. whole other story
0: so there's an interesting side here because the, the the fin being forwards is going to be slightly less aerodynamic if the wind isn't hitting perfectly down the center line of the car, which it probably isn't going to be, you know, but by the time it's rolled over the, the bonnet <laughs> the hood. For you guys
3: out there, that's a hood? <laughs> by the time it's rolled over
0: the hood and the windshield and everything like that, it's uh-huh. not going to be perfectly smooth flow. It's sure. going to be hitting that, that fin. But the benefit is when it hits that fin slightly sideways, the first thing it's going to try and do, exactly the same as a, a, if you try to take off backwards on a surfboard, what's the first thing that happens when the fin hits the water? Spins around. The board tries to spin around. Same thing will happen with the airflow coming over the car. Rather than trying to push the board straight backwards, the board's going to try and twist, which is going to tighten the straps. Perfect. So it'll actually help to stop the board from, from sliding forward or backwards um, as, as long as there's that, that slight you know, with that fin forwards. But, of course, if we're using the side of the fin to catch the airflow slightly, that's creating drag. Mm -hmm. And it's slowing the car down. It's it's denting our mileage. So I think the... By how much? What do you think the effect is on that? Would you like to know? Hit me. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, here's just a a little fact. Um, If you affect the fuel efficiency of, of your car by about 2 to 3%. 2 to 3% drop, highway driving, that's going to be about 10 to 15 kilometers, like 5 to 10 miles uh, per tank in efficiency, uh, you know, that, that you're saving or you're losing. So there's been a couple of studies, um, of a couple of guys that, 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 that put boards on the on the roof of the car just to see what happens. So the first thing is, if you just have the racks on the roof, you get a 7% drop in fuel efficiency. If you then put a surfboard on the rack, it is a 19% drop in efficiency. So that
3: would tell us flush so to the roof is better than up on
0: racks? Well, so they didn't actually, they didn't actually do the test with that, but theoretically, yeah, the, 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 the more that you can keep the flow together, right. the smoother it should be. So the absolute ideal would just be to clap, to bolt the board right. to the roof of the car. Okay. <laughs>
2: So, I guess that depending on the surfboard that you're carrying, Mm -hmm. the more fuel-efficient you will actually be, right? Let's talk about a a shortboard, for instance, right? that has a little bit more rocket that would adapt a little better to the shape of the car and the aerodynamical flow
0: that goes through it. Well, and also, it's only six foot long, so it's not overhanging the front (laughs) of the car. (laughs) That's right.
2: And what would you do with the longboard, though? Like Would you still put a fin forward or would you put the fin back? I would still go fin forward.
0: um, well, so yeah, this goes, this then all comes in to Channing's question. He's asking, what is the most aerodynamically efficient? He's not asking what's going to keep my board on the roof. <laughs> I, I would He's say not fin. asking what is the best way to put it. I think more people lean towards aerodynamically fin back. So aerodynamically, you're going to want it fin back. You're going to want it as close to the roof as possible. And you're going to want all the overhang behind the car what you want is almost zero overhang over the windshield because you want the airflow coming up the front and rolling over the back of the car to stay as fluid and clean as possible. And if you get a bit of flow separation at the back of the car where the, where the board overhangs, that's not as bad as flow separation at the front of the car. However, having said that, you know, we we, we have all these losses of efficiency of the putting the board on the roof and, and, and the rack and stuff like that, like the difference between having the board... like realistically we're going to put it on a rack like we're at the very least going to put it on soft racks yeah for the the integrity of your roof (laughs) yeah only to stop your roof getting strapped like the difference between the board being forwards and backwards on the roof probably isn't that much um i don't have any numbers nobody that nobody that i could find has done any any actual hard testing on this but probably putting the board on the roof is going to be that 15 to 20 range. And then it's probably going to be a 1% or 2% maybe as yeah. to whether the board's forwards or So backwards. if
3: you live 30 minutes from the beach, don't, don't worry, man. It's, you're talking that <laughs> dollar. If you're going across country or you got a three-hour drive, maybe look into it a little bit. But I would want to make sure that my car is safe. My board is well secured, and I would think just having those fins forward gives me the reassurance that if that board does start to slide back, it's going to get caught by my fins.
1: As you, or as you accelerate a car normally, you don't go like and try and do your to 100 as quick as you can, right? You do, okay. Most (laughs) people won't, right? But as you think about that, and if you've got the fin at the front to stop that board sliding, do you think the board would even slide?
0: No, it would, it would be more sustained pressure.
1: It, it would lift up against the strap, right? Whereas if you need to brake, which you probably will do at some point when you're driving, that's when a board is more likely to slide.
0: Well, I think the idea is that, that you, when you drive, you know, let's say you do a, a couple of hours drive to the beach, mm-hmm. you've got constant wind pressure on the front of the board, and then that slight vibration, and it's just mm-hmm. going to be gently pushed back you may the not hit it's, on
3: your brakes hard the whole time
0: i think that the, the the only time you're going to have a board actually slide like unless you've really like not strapped it on properly or you've used bungee cord or something the only right. re- reason you're going to have the board suddenly slide forwards or backwards is if the st- straps break
1: yeah
3: which but perhaps which, in a collision using, maybe in an accident that would be enough but again i think
0: you would need to break the straps they were the have, still to have the straps break. Yeah. so loose. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking. There's a lot of people just use bungee though. Yeah. Like you see it all the time. People that are just driving uh-huh. like two miles down to the beach and they just uh-huh. use bungee cord. That will break. My favorite is <laughs> through the back seat sideways. So you got half sticking <laughs> out one side and half <laughs> on the other. That's perfect.
3: Especially if it's like a Toyota Corolla or something. I
0: did. You're like this. The first time I ever drove in the States, I was working on I was working crew on a yacht and we were in Key West. Oh, perfect. And I left that yacht, and I was going back to the UK, and I had a surfboard. And so I decided I was going to do this in style. I was like, who knows when I'm going to be in America again. So I I paid the extra to rent a convertible, put the surfboard in the spare seat, and drove up the Florida Keys (laughs) with my surfboard in the spare seat. Where there's zero zero waves. Oh, no (laughs) waves at all. I must have looked like an idiot. I got such bad sunburn. Oh, that it convertible.
1: <laughs> at, at, <laughs> the, at the risk of, um, of digressing, this has made me think of um, a guy I used to work with. In fact, Harry, you might remember um, Andy Cameron. Mm-hmm. I, we'll talk about him because he doesn't listen to the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the one episode. <laughs>
1: um, so I grew up working for this guy and he, my job was basically follow him around and you know put stuff together that he's like, he's just like a, what's the spinning? T- tornado. Tornado, right? <laughs> Um, And his favourite thing to do, and he'd done this multiple times, is to put his board on the roof of his truck and assume that I'm going to strap it on for him, (laughs) go (laughs) grab a coffee, grab lunch and drive off up the hill. And as you leave Polzeth, which is in Cornwall where I used to live, you can drive like two mile an hour, two mile an hour, two mile an hour up the hill. Okay, let's go. We can get up to 40 mile an hour. And so the same farmer was picking up his surfboards <laughs> like three times a <laughs> summer because they're just blown into so the So it field. wasn't one time. This and was get, multiple times. He'd get home and be like, oh, no surfboard. He tell me to get me another one. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I thought that made me think of that story.
3: Uh, anyway, thank you, Channing, for your question. That one was really fun to field. And I think the jury is yet still out. Fence forwards. Forward. forwards. all the time. Fins Actually, fins. if I could throw this in, I don't, I don't yeah. know. If yeah.
2: I do fins backwards though. Like I really, yeah. I yeah. feel like if I'm gonna hit the brakes, that's gonna be more of a situation in the country roads at least that I drive on. Last little bit on the uh, on the board racks. I saw recently. I don't know
3: if I don't think this had anything to do with the Super Bowl or anything, but there was a really funny commercial with Daniel Tosh, who's a comedian in the states, and he's got an endorsement through Subaru. And he was doing a commercial for the Outback, and it's him kind of making fun of the, the typical surfy commercial. And he walks up to an Outback and puts his board on the roof, and he says, Always put your board, board tail first. People who put the nose first, you're just announcing to the rest of the beach, Hey, I'm an idiot.
0: <laughs> and then he goes
3: on to say, There's no right way to put a stand-up paddle on your roof,
0: because nobody likes stand-up paddlers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. I had to throw that out there.
0: <laughs> Uh, just before we completely move on from this, have you guys ever heard of board stacking? Oh, God. Surfboard stacking. Well, we've done that a little bit on our road trips. Well, we've done it a little bit on our road trips. Do you know what the record is for number of boards on the roof? Oh, God, I can only imagine. Oh, Paul Zeth must have that. No. 25. I see one. 282 boards That's just on silly. the roof of one car. That's
2: 1998 in on Wow. <laughs> That's impressive.
0: Yeah. We, we didn't have Cook Humby. of the
2: Day back then. <laughs> they, so
0: it started it, initially, it started that you had to have boards and the riders
3: oh, in the, in the car. car
0: to make it official. So this is back in the 1960s, and they did 13 boards and 13 surfers. And uh, the, that, that competition kind of ended with 32 boards, 35 surfers, and a dog. <laughs> and a dog no, and nobody managed better into a car and then they started going with the how many boards can you stack on the, on the roof yeah. and still drive 100 yards when they,
3: when they stacked that many did they go fins forward? <laughs> they went fins all over the place wherever they fit
0: there's a, there's a good article that Matt Warshaw wrote on the encyclopedia of surfing so I'll, I'll link to that Alrighty. That is almost all we have time for. Um, but before we go, our little, a uh, little what to watch section. Um, what do you got for us to watch Derek?
3: This is, this is an oldie,
0: but a goodie. And it's,
3: it's a real short clip. Um, I, I actually got this one through the resort around here, watching our, our TV. Um, it's called working class and it's Geordie Smith. It's a couple of Jay Z songs. It's not very long, but you would pick, you would pick a movie <laughs> set to rap. Got to have a little hip hop in there, right? Um, in working, I'm not just giving you working class. I'm also going to give you at 48 seconds into this film, there is a right hander. I believe it's at Trestles. It looks like Trestles to me, but Jordy Smith does three beautiful front side hacks that I've watched over and over in slow motion. And it's cool because it's back to back. He comes out of one turn, gets right back on rail and goes into the next one. You think it's done. He gets back on rail and goes into the next one. But the things that we teach here when it comes to a good turn where you're putting it on rail, specifically front side, it's you you watch it all break down. You watch the compression in the bottom turn. You watch him hold his compression. You watch his front leading arm reach for the water. His eyes hit his target. And as he opens his chest, the amount of spray, the buckets that he throws. So this whole little, you know, it's only two songs long. It's not a long surf movie, but this one part I will find myself opening. I'll fast forward to that part and just watch that specific wave over and over and over again because that's really what I strive for is the, a, a better and better frontside turn. So, working class, Jordy Smith, 48 seconds in. You're welcome. Tommy?
1: Um, so, mine is um, from StabMag. Uh, it's, it's red eye and it's on My, Mike Lay this time. I used to go to college with Mike. Um, and it's him traveling. I think he said he was traveling for, for two weeks across Ireland and it's some of the waves he found there. Um, he just speaks really well and it's a beautifully shot. Beautifully shot uh, video.
0: Very
2: cool. Marlon? Um, Well, lately, I've been looking into different shapes of boards and sizes and different type of fins you can ride, so... It's been corrupted.
0: (laughs) When Marlon arrived a month ago, he was a shortboarder. Now now he's been corrupted. (laughs) Surf Simply is definitely
2: opening my mind on the type of boards I can ride on the different type of conditions that the ocean is going to be throwing at me throughout our winter or rainy season, as we call it, or our summertime where we've got the big offshores. And I was watching a movie with our friend and colleague in the kitchen. We call him Papita. We're watching (laughs) Dane Reynolds, the electric acid board test. So he goes through a variety of boards and tells us his opinion about how they're written. What does he like about them and what does he not really appreciate? And I think it's a pretty cool thing to watch if you're wondering about how different boards are written and what is spot on and what is a lack of in the very technical surfing of a pro surfer.
0: This is a, yeah, this is a very cool. This is a little spin off from the Stab in the Dark uh, series where they yes. were sort of, you know, trying to find the best shortboard. And they exactly. did this one with Dane. And I, and I think, again, it's the same thing, isn't it? The boards are unmarked. Like, they don't, he doesn't exactly. know who shaped them in this.
2: Oh, I thought he knew who shaped them. I think he does know who shaped them. And there are a variety of different shapes of fish, though. Well, there are, or some bouncers. of them are single
0: fins and... Exactly. So yeah. he has
2: bonzers, he has a longboard, he has a couple of different twin fins and fishes in there. So there's a pretty nice variety. Um, for me, Dane Reynolds is an amazing,
1: incredible surfer. Um, and this has such an opportunity to be so, so interesting. But it's just not. <laughs> um, I mean, be watching, honest, it, watching it is amazing, right? He does crazy, crazy stuff. And then you ask him to describe the differences between the boards. And he's like... I don't like big boards, i got to move my feet. Exactly,
2: <laughs> exactly. But that, 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 that essentially is, is what made me look into it is because there's this pro surfer who has been surfing a certain type of boards throughout his whole surfing life. And then there is like on the other spectrum, there's me who is trying to learn how to surf over a variety of conditions on the same type of boards. And then once he exposes himself to different shapes of boards, he can really see that there are parts of his technique that are still missing in a way
1: yeah i think it, it, it kind of shows you that you know we try and surf all kinds of boards in all kinds of conditions whereas he's pretty much just going for one thing exactly let's stick my feet to the board and do us exactly. <laughs>
2: which is cool i mean if yeah. i could do that I'd it, do it, that. it, it works for it, it does not quite um, work for all the <laughs> conditions i want to surf on
3: <laughs> i uh in addition to giving Marlon a shout out for trying different boards, I also want to give a shout out to our chef, Dennis, because I think when he first started here, it was just a shortboard kind of world for him. And lately, almost every time I've seen him going out in conditions that are definitely shortboardable, he is taking out a 9'6 and making it look fun. I mean, working on his cross stepping, nose riding, but turning it, I was really impressed with. I saw the other day. So to the man in the kitchen, Mr. Dennis, yeah, yeah. shout out to you. Form is our friend.
0: Very cool. Um, all right. My Watch Watch is a slightly peculiar one. Vans have put together a series with Dylan Graves, who's a, a surfer from Puerto Rico. But uh, it's called Weird Waves. And he's traveling around the world surfing some pretty peculiar little things. <laughs> and he started off with a wave called the Seven Boar.
1: I watched that one, is yep.
0: a tidal bore that flows up the River Severn in England. Pretty cool, um, right? So there's basically the... the, the The landscape funnels the tide. It's this big river estuary that gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And and the tide gets funneled and funneled and funneled and funneled to the point where it actually becomes a wave that travels up the river. And it does not look like the most fun wave in the world, but you can ride it for about five miles wow so
2: uh, that looks fun though like yeah. if you can ride a wave for like five miles i think he has the the guinness record of the longest wave written and he rides it for like an hour and a half if i'm not mistaken that's just <laughs> we crazy. thought your was long <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> right it's uh so yeah anyway i i think that's quite fun and i think it looks like it's gonna be quite a fun series as well he's done one on the uh eisbach in munich so yeah i, th- I think it's going to be a fun series to uh, to watch Alrighty, ladies and gents, um, that is just about us. If you want to uh, get in touch with any of us about anything we've said, you can reach us on our social media. Derek, your um, Derek underscore Diedeker. on Instagram. Marlon, so on Instagram,
2: you will find me as Marlon I L L I G, which is my last name. Kind of complicated, but you can find me there on Instagram.
1: And Tommy, uh, I'm at Tommy Potterton,
0: as well as Birds of Nassau. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, You've
1: you <laughs>
0: got, you got, got to plug your wildlife shot. I, I can't
1: remember the last time I used my own Instagram. I, I use at um, birds of Nassara.
2: Birds of Nassara is <laughs> where it's at. Talking about animals, sorry, real quick. You mentioned earlier that you saw...
1: Oh, yeah. Um, we've had lots of wildlife lately. Um, we've had lots of whales in the ocean. We've had humpbacks. The guests a couple of weeks ago saw an orca in Costa Rica. Crazy. I, I had to see the video to believe it myself. Um, and no, on Friday evening I saw my first lowland packer. Has anyone heard of one of those?
0: I have not. No. It sounds like it's big.
1: It, no, it's it's a rodent. It sounds like a bird. It's a it's about I'm holding my hands up about shoulder width apart.
0: That is a solid chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a Which, given, <laughs> given that you're talking about a rodent, that's quite big. It's
1: a big rodent. Um, it's and I, I'm sure Dennis knows the name. They're, they they used to hunt them to eat them here. It's like brown with white spots. Tepesquintle.
2: Tepesquintle. Exactly. That's exactly what oh, it Oh, totally. We right. call them in Nosara, Costa Rica, cherengas. <laughs> cherengas. <laughs> I think that's what, what does it that translate tempus. as? Um, that is a very good question. I wish I could answer to you. <laughs> that is the popular name we have it's amongst... A silly name it's us. just a silly name for it. It's just a silly name for it.
1: Have you seen one of those before?
2: Yeah, yeah. They jump. They, they kind of jump pretty high and they're cha- they were chased by our local ancestors. They're a pretty good meal. Pretty yeah, I've
1: heard they're pretty tasty. I like to think I've seen most of the animals we've got
3: well, here. We'll hunt
2: one down and get Dennis to well, cook it. Well, actually, they're protected.
0: <laughs> so, well, we're not that. allowed to, to hunt them, Derek. Get a blowgun. They're delicious, though. <laughs> and on the subject of, of Dennis and our kitchen team, uh, we actually have a new Instagram handle uh, if you want to follow it. We have at Surf Simply Food. On Instagram, uh, we have a, a whole feed dedicated to the food that Dennis and Yayo and Luis are producing in our kitchen. And uh, this, is, this is the sneaky start. There's a few little recipe ideas, a few cooking ideas in there. Luis, aka Papita. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, and if any of you want to get a hold of me, you can email podcast at surfsymphony.com. Um, but for now, from all of us here. Goodbye. Thanks, Goodbye. everybody. Till next
1: time. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry level surfers,
0: go to surfsimply.com.